All right, y'all, let's begin. Welcome, guys. This is uh, Thursday. This is our second to last training here for the door knocking challenge. I'm trying to arrange for tomorrow uh, to see if I can get somebody in person uh, to be with me so I can at least give you 10 or 15 minutes of some, some back and forth. Um, but we'll see. If not, maybe I'll just have one of my team members jump on and we can go back and forth. But today, what I wanted to do is... Yeah, I'm going to give you some technical stuff for door knocking, but I wanted to zoom in more on uh, specificity in regards to your dialogues, what to say, how to say it, you know, uh, kind of in celebration, because this weekend I'm doing an event where I'm going to exclusively focus on teaching uh, neuro-linguistic programming and hypnosis techniques. I wanted to touch on some of that stuff today. I obviously encourage everybody to go to that event because it's going to be amazing. But some of those principles, right, I'm going to cover today on the call because it's simple, it's applicable, and anybody, whether they're a complete rookie at this stuff or really advanced, you can take some of these teachings and really apply them quickly and see some results with them right away, okay? So I'm gonna give you some questions that you can ask people, and I'm gonna give you some basic principles in regards to uh, neuro-linguistic programming and, and some of this stuff, right? It's mind and language connection. When you think of NLP and hypnosis and all that stuff, it's not what people think it is. It's basically finding out how to change, communicate with, and alter the mind through language and communication. That's what it is, right? It's that gateway, okay? So one of the, one of the first principles you learn in NLP that's very accurate to this, and I'll explain how, is you learn the principle called the map is not the territory, right? Territory for lack of better words, or to keep it simple, we can say the territory is people's perception of the world or the territory itself being objective reality, right? How the world actually is. Now, the map of the territory is everybody's perception of what it's like, okay? Case in point, the territory being, let's say, real estate and the practice of real estate and how the sale of a house goes. We, being experts, know the actual territory, individuals, customers, they have their own map of what they think the process is like and how it's supposed to go. Okay. So when you come across people, you have your map and now you're interacting with them and their map. Therefore, understanding that, you know, if somebody says something incorrect, you know why, right? If somebody says or claims that they know something, you want to verify it. Why? You don't know what their map is. So one of the principles that it goes along with this that helps in sales is respect somebody's map. And when I say map, it's just their perception or viewpoint of how the world is. And you can zero in that on whatever you want, how the real estate process goes, how they think relationships go, how they think social media is, how they think friendships should be, right? That map can be anything that you want it to be. So understand that every time you interact with an individual, in particular in our profession of you know, selling and real estate, you're dealing with somebody who has their own map of how the world or that process is supposed to be. Therefore, you can never make assumptions. You have to educate people. You have to walk them through things and you have to understand what you're dealing with and where you're at. This is what allows me to be so open, receptive, and patient with people because I don't know what their map is and you have to understand that, all right? That's a very basic principle that at the very least in your mind facilitates and eases communication with people. Now, you don't get so easily triggered by people. You don't become combative when you're talking to them. Why? Hey, they have a different map of the world. This is why I can interact with the FISBO and they can literally be disrespecting me, but I don't take it that way. Hey, that's their map. 
they truly believe in their mind that they don't need me. Now, of course, I can convince them that, that they do need me 100%. But if I'm already getting offended and I'm not understanding and respecting their position, again, whether it's erroneous or not, correct, wrong, doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. You need to be able to understand their position. Once you do, your gateway of communicating is, we can say, unbothered. It's cleaner. There's no resentment in your speech to them. There's no negative energy. There's no, I need to prove them wrong, right? There's no resistance because you didn't allow them to trigger anything with, uh, inside of you because you're being compassionate and empathetic for their position because you understand, hey, their map is different than mine, okay? This is as technical as it is just an understanding. Now, in the moment, right, this is gonna take some reps because when somebody's, when you come across your first FISBO, if you haven't, that just literally shits on you, like, I hate you realtors and you're horrible, right? You may take it personal and that's okay. But as time goes on and you guys accumulate these repetitions and rejections, it becomes easier because you learn, hey, you live to fight another day. It's not that bad. I'm the one who's making it worse, right? So a couple of things that I want to cover, right? I jotted some notes and I'm going to give you a lot of stuff that you're probably going to have to come back and take notes on because I'm on limited time. So I can't uh, sometimes sit here and, and go on for hours about particular points. So we have the map is not the territory, right? Um, another thing you need to understand, and this will help you guys with building rapport and understanding people's maps and how they perceive the world and how to connect with them easier. A basic principle is people's um, understanding and how they process the world. And typically they fall under three categories and there is a fourth one, but I'm only gonna cover the main three because the fourth one's a little bit more advanced and maybe I can save that for, for a future lecture, right? Most people are going to process the world either through a visual standpoint, an auditory standpoint, or kinesthetic. Most people are visual, right? They go off what they see. Auditory is going to be more sound-oriented, and kinesthetic is more hands-on, feeling, right? And what cues you into this a lot is language. So I have a big notebook here of notes that I've taken, and I'm going to go through and give you guys some explanation from my notes and also give you some words. So this is going to be a section where you're probably going to have to come back later and study and take notes on to really start getting this. Because as you're listening to people and interacting with them, when they say some of these buzzwords, you'll know, okay, this person's a visual person. And that allows you to make these small tweaks in how you speak and how you cater your presentations to them to fit their language. So when you hear people say, this person speaks my language, this is what they're referring to with stuff like this. This allows you to bridge the gap with people and be able to keep things and explain things to them in a way that's the easiest and most readily understandable for them. Remember that when you communicate, right, there's three parts of a communication, the origination of it, the space between me and you, where the communication is sent, and then it has to be duplicated in your mind. So if I think red cat, say red cat, you have to hear it. And then in your mind say, okay, red cat, that's a complete cycle of communication. Right now, how we go about doing that becomes technical with stuff like this. Okay. So I'm going to give you short explanations and words. Again, even if I go fast, you guys can always come back since this is being recorded and take more notes. All right. So visual, visual people normally memorize by seeing pictures and they're less distracted by noise. They often, and this is just generalities that I'm speaking here, right? Often have trouble remembering and are bored by long verbal instructions as their mind may wander. 
They are interested in how things look. So some of those things that you'll hear when they speak or when they describe something, they'll say words like see, look, view, appear, show, reveal, envision, imagine, clear, focused, right? Picture, okay? That's visual. Number two, auditory. There are people who are typically easily distracted by noise. They can repeat things back to you easily and learn by listening. They like music and talking on the phone. Their tone of voice and the words said to them, especially, are even more important because they're more attuned to their ears, right? And audio. Some of the words to describe that they use and that you can use to connect with them better hear, listen, sound, harmonize, resonate, be heard, question, right? Tune in, tune out, harmonize. Okay, and the last one kinesthetic. They often speak slowly and they're more breathy, meaning they take more deep breaths, right? And they may be more long-winded. They like physical rewards and touching. They memorize by doing or walking through something. They will be interested in something that feels right or gives them a gut feeling. Those people are more kinesthetic oriented. They use a word such as feel, touch, grasp, get a hold of, tap into, make, con uh, make contact, throw out. Feeling, unfeeling, concrete, solid, get a grip on, get a handle on, right? And I know I'm rifling through this, but you guys can always come back and listen, right? Let me give you some examples of sentences now that I've written down, right? Visual, okay? Catch certain words. You can see the leaves gently moving in the breeze as the moon begins rising above the trees in the distance. You see a small brook nearby and the water twists through its random course. That's visual. Auditory. You can hear the wind blowing through the big leaves on the full trees, hear the crickets in the background and hear a brook drifting by in the distance. Kinesthetic. You can feel the gentle wind blowing, feeling the soft ground beneath your feet and being in this forest makes you feel so peaceful, right? So those, those are just some examples, some of the words that are associated with this. So as you're talking to people, right, if someone tells you, you know what, I want to see what your presentation looks like, you know, they're visual. If someone says, you know what, I, I, I need to hear you out first before I make a decision. They're more audio, auditory, right? If someone says, you know what, I'll know when I have the right agent, when I just, I just get that gut feeling, right? Or, you know what, do you have a document or something that I can put my hands on? That would be somebody who's kinesthetic. Hey, can you walk me through the process? That's somebody who's kinesthetic, right? That's somebody who wants to involve touch. Those are the certain buzzwords you have to listen for. So now when you guys are communicating with people, it's just small tweaks that you make. So if I hear somebody be visual, I'll tell them, you know what, I'll send you a few pictures and a few visual aids for you to see what I'm saying. That'll be a response that I would do. Right. You know what? When we meet, I think you're going to love what you hear from us. And once you hear it, it's going to make sense. I know it'll sound good. I know I'm going to speak your language. Those are things I'll say to somebody who's audio. Another, another person who's kinesthetic, you know what? I'm going to hold your hand through this whole process. I will be walking side by side with you through this whole transaction. So you'll feel taken care of and you'll feel comfortable. Feel, feel, right? 
That's an example how I would talk to a kinesthetic person in little blips or when I'm confirming things, right? These are just little add-ons that you guys can put that make it a little bit better, right? We're talking about building rapport. We're talking about making people feel comfortable. This is it, all right? This can be used when you go door to door in the moment. This can be used at your presentations. This can be used when you're uh, talking to buyers. You know, if I have a visual buyer, hey, can you guys imagine yourselves living here? What do you see in this room? Where would you put things, right? And they'll tell you, right? But this is just some of the language that you can use, all right? We'll come back to that one though, because that one's more just like me giving you a bunch of words and it can, it can be boring at times. All right, here's another one that's very important when you door knock, but especially when you're just in dialogues with people. You have future pacing and pacing somebody's reality and pacing and leading, which are other terms that you learn in neuro-linguistic programming, right? Pacing someone's reality is, if I'm going to give you a mental image of it, when you speak to them, they think that if we're running a movie scene, that you're standing right next to them, walking with them, and you're living the moment with them. So they think, okay, this person, they understand me, right? The best way we do this is by relating to people. Oh, you know what? Um, we're, we're gonna take a break, Brian, because you know my sister got cancer. I could say, you know what? I'm sorry to hear that. My, my grandma actually got cancer recently and it's been, it's been quite the struggle, so I understand, right? I just related to them. I'm pacing their reality. I'm basically saying, I understand what you're going through. So whenever you have people say, you know, I'm so frustrated with my agent, you know, tell me more about that. What's going on? Oh man, like they're not communicating, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, you know, most agents I deal with take two days to get back to me. It's pretty frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, you know, our agent didn't get back to us. I'm pacing their reality. This is how I can get on somebody's side and open up a dialogue with them very quickly. But the key here is you need to be genuine. I'm not just making shit up. I'm actually listening to them and empathizing with their situation and putting myself in their shoes. Knock, knock, knock. They open. Hey, my name is Brian. You're the owner. Yes. Oh, are you a realtor? Yeah, I am. Oh, man. You're like the fourth realtor who's knocked on my door this week. I'd be like, oh, man, pretty crazy, huh? It sounds like we're coming in waves. Cool. Well, hey, I respect that. Look, I'll be real quick. That's me pacing the reality. I acknowledged it and just went, boom, boom. Okay, you know what? You've had a lot. I'll be quick. That's me pacing somebody's reality, right? Now, pacing and leading or future pacing, whatever you want to call it, right? I guess you can kind of separate them. Future pacing basically means with my language and my speech, I'm telling people what's going to happen next. The classic example of this is, let's say I'm at a listing presentation or even if I'm at the door and we're about to do something, we exchange information or I'm at a listing presentation and we're about to sign the paperwork, I start painting the picture. I say, okay, Mr. Seller, go ahead and sign right here. Look, I wanna give you a quick rundown of what's gonna happen. So today we'll take care of the paperwork. Where's my thing? Tomorrow, I'm gonna put on the lockbox on the property. In about three days, you can expect the for sale sign to be up because I'm gonna order it tonight once I'm uh, back in the office. I'm gonna officially put the home on the market the following Thursday. Friday, we'll start the showings. You can expect an offer within you know, 72 to, I don't know, uh, 96 hours after that, three to four days. And, you know, escrow right now is anywhere from 30 days. So today is the 25th of March. We can expect to get you sold and closed uh, probably by early May. Okay. Now that's kind of long-winded what I said, but I basically just mapped out six weeks. Harold, please mute yourself. Um, I just mapped out six weeks. Right. 
I future pace them by letting them know what's going to happen. How else can you do this? Let's say you're doing a buyer consultation. When you guys do a buyer consultation, walk them through the whole thing. How many weeks it's going to take, what the paperwork looks like, what they're going to be signing, where they're going to be signing, what documents they need, what their expectations are. Are they realistic, unrealistic? Walk them through the whole thing. So by the time that you're actually doing it, it's easy. By the time I ask a buyer to sign the offer, there's no, whoa, 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 what are we signing? They've already seen that form two or three times and they know exactly where to sign. That's what future pacing does. Also, when you future pace, there's a presupposition there. Presupposition, if you don't know what that means, is basically an assumption. It's an assumption when I say all these things that they're going to work with me and comply with what I'm putting in front of them. I'm painting that picture for them. I'm already drawing the road and path that they're supposed to be on. So if I'm, I'm saying this to a lead, I'm saying this to somebody who I'm about to set an appointment with or that I want to set an appointment with, right? Let's say I set an appointment and I haven't gone over yet. I'm going to say, hey, when we meet, obviously the goal is to get the paperwork signed. And then from there, you can expect about 30 days until the process is over. If they're agreeing to all that, they just agree to everything that I said. Now, does that guarantee you're going to get the paperwork signed? Not necessarily, but you're, you're creating a stronger case for yourself because you're throwing those suggestions and everything into their head and you're painting the picture for them. The more you do that, the better it is. Why? Well, let's look at the opposite. Let's say you leave everything up to chance, right? When you do that, you're leaving things up for interpretation. Now you're running into the possibility of their map not being like your map, which we know is more than likely going to happen. Okay. Let's say for them, it's customary to never sign a contract when they meet with somebody the first time. And you never bring that up. You never tell them, hey, the goal of the meeting is to get it signed. And if everything looks good, you're ready to sign, right? Let's say you don't qualify them. You don't prepare them. You don't handle that part. Well, guess what? When you go to show up, they're going to say, oh, no, we never sign on the first time. Oh, we're not ready. Some variation of that's going to come out and you're going to be stuck. Why? You didn't address it and you didn't let them know what was going to happen. And whenever you fail to future pace, people fill in the gaps with what they think. Here's another example. Let's say you don't let people know what your schedule is and when you're available and when they can call you or not. They're going to make the assumption. Let's say they're used to calling people at midnight. What are they going to do? They have a question. They're going to call you at midnight and they're going to expect you to answer. And if you answer, guess what? You just told them I'm available at midnight if you call me. Now, if in the future they call you again and you don't answer, they're going to be upset. You see, whenever you leave a question mark or you don't fill in a blank for them, they're going to fill it in. And in most cases, them filling in the blank is incorrect. This is why even when you get people's information at the door, this is even when you get people's information at the door, you have to tell them what's going to happen next. Let's say it's a lead. I'm going to call you this day at this time. When are you available to talk? If I need to talk to you 100%, like you'll pick up the phone. When can I call you? Morning, afternoon, or evening? Oh yeah. If you call me between 1230 and one, I'll answer for sure. Guess what? I'm putting that in my notebook. That's when they're going to pick up if I need to call. So I'm going to have three section, three small 20 minute windows to follow up with people morning, lunch, evening, but I'm letting them know. Obviously the next steps for us to do X, Y, Z. Then from there, we're going to set up the meeting. When we set up the meeting, we're going to get together. It'll be about 10 or 15 minutes. We'll take care of all the paperwork. Before then, I'm going to send you this package. And I'm letting them know what's going to happen. I'm, not, I'm leaving no stone unturned. This is when you become thorough. This is when you're an expert. Right? The rookie 
gets a call from somebody that says, oh, I want to sell. And they say, okay, I'll be right over. And then you just go without qualifying them or doing anything. The expert, the seasoned agent has a process and it's up to you to lead them through the process. So when we say pacing and leading, you pace to get in rapport and then you grab them by the hand and you take them. This conversation, this transaction, this appointment goes based on where you lead it. Now, if you relinquish control to them and you let them run the show and ask all the questions and, and run the meeting, it's going to go nowhere. You have to maintain control. This is why your door knocking approach is question based. This is why I'm always going to be an advocate of the scripts first and foremost, to keep your conversation short. A lot of people bring in all this long-winded stuff to, to do that. If you want to have longer conversations with people, save it for later. Save it for later because you're, 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 you're balancing a tightrope of getting information and building rapport, but also wasting your time. And if you're going to the doors and you're having 15, 20, 30-minute conversations with everybody you meet, you're wasting your time because you're not making enough contacts. Okay. And I get it. Maybe some of you are more talkative and you love doing it. Well, you, you need to understand we're not there to be their friend. We're there to be a professional first, then somebody that they can talk to. Because for some reason, I've noticed this from experience, you get too buddy-buddy with people, they stop respecting you as a professional. And they'll want to hang out with you, but they won't do business with you. It's happened to me. Because in the beginning, I didn't know how to cut, cut out conversations. And I thought I had to keep talking and talking and talking and talking. Then I get nowhere, right? So there's a fine line there. I didn't find the qualifying questions for seller. It's in the script, uh, script book, guys. Pre-qualification for the seller. Here, I'll even pull it up right now. I don't think you guys are looking through the whole book. Okay, yeah, there you go. Pre-qualification. You said, oh, okay, I'm assuming you, you just went past it. And you didn't think it was that. Yeah, it's like questions before the listing appointment. I forget the actual name at the top, but it has all the questions like, hey, when we get together, if everything looks good and you feel confident, you know, that we can get the home sold, are you ready to start the process, right? Are you ready to hire me, right? That's the first question. And then it goes down. Confirming the motivation, how much do you owe? If it sells in 30 days or less, is that going to be a problem? All that stuff is there. You want to make sure you qualify people, right? Buyers and sellers, all right? So let's continue. Here's um, some patterns that you can use, right? Something that we learn early on in sales, and it's, it's derived from like the old school days of like neurolinguistic programming and hypnosis, but it's not really taught that way is, and many of you have heard it in classic sales is using a tie down, which is a confirmation at the end of a statement to get somebody to, to do two things, engage with you and pay attention, but also say yes, right? And I wrote some down. It's things like this, right? Question mark. Isn't it? This is a great challenge, isn't it? You have to say yes and engage with me. Does this make sense? We're going to meet tomorrow at five. You're going to sign and then we'll have it all done. Cool. Question mark. That's another one. Makes sense. Are we on the same page? Are you with me? Are you following me? Do you see what I mean? Does that sound good? Those are all variations of tie downs. I use a tie down to keep you engaged, but also get you to say yes. That's the main purpose of doing it. So does that mean after every statement we use a tie down? No. But over a presentation or a dialogue, you want to throw in a couple. If I'm at the door and I'm going to talk to somebody for a few minutes, I might sprinkle two or three in there. 
just to keep them engaged and make sure their mind isn't wandering and they're here. If you feel like, and you can see and sense that somebody's attention is wandering, use a tie down to get, to get them back here, right? It works. This also, right? If you ever get in a position where the dialogue has flipped and someone has taken control and now they're asking you questions and you're just answering, that gives you the opportunity to flip it back. They ask me a question and I answer and then I use a tie down. That's the process that I use to get a home sold. Does that make sense? And then they say, yes, guess what? They just answered a question. I now can throw my next question and regain control of the conversation, right? Because that's classic too. The one who's asking questions is the one who's in control. But once you start getting into NLP and hypnosis, you realize me asking questions allows me to get to see your map, how you process emotions, what you know about the process. It lets me see and get a gateway into your head to see how you process the world. And once I have that, I have the key to be able to influence you any way that I want. I know what you like, what you don't like, what you think. That's all that I need to be able to influence you if you're interested in my product or service, because then I know how to cater my pitch to you. That's why you ask questions. Not only do you main, maintain control like we were taught, but you also get a, a direct access into somebody's mind. If I engage with a question with you and you're a willing participant, you're going to answer. And when you give the answer, you're giving me a lot of information. Even when I ask a question, if you flinch, I know you didn't like the question. When I give you the price on the presentation, if you flinch or you, you sit back and you make a face, I know that you didn't like the price. You're communicating all the things that I need you to communicate to me to know where I stand and what I need to do, right? It's a beautiful thing. When you guys are agreeing with people, one statement that we say that I think we use incorrectly at times is you saying, I understand. Blah, 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 I'm pissed off at agents. I understand, right? That one, probably haven't heard this before. If you're not in rapport with somebody, you saying, I understand can actually break rapport. Why? When you first engage with somebody, if they're hostile with you and you say you understand, they don't think that you actually understand. They'll think you're just saying that to try to build rapport with them because it's too soon. Save that confirmation. You call it repeating and affirming. Basic sales tactic that we're taught, right? To demonstrate that we're on the same page. You, you in a condensed version, repeat what they say to, to identify with them. Like, hey, I, I hear what you're saying. And then you say, cool, got it, good for you, right? Those are affirming statements. This is what I'm talking about. The one I understand, I would use that later once you're in conversation and it's more comfortable. Instead, use ones such as, I appreciate that, I agree, I respect that. Those are examples. You know what? I just don't trust agents. I can respect that because you just had a previous bad experience, correct? Yes. Cool. Much better to say that than I understand. Because this happened to me before when I was new, where I say that and they're like, no, you don't understand. All you agents are full of shit, blah, 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 blah. And they go off on me, right? So I knew right away, okay, understand can be used against me if I use it at the wrong time. So when you affirm, right, those statements allow you to also segue to your next question and indicate to them, I'm listening. All right. One thing that is tied with this, and this is a classic teaching from sales, but I think a lot of people, uh, they don't remember it or that they fail to, to utilize it correctly is until you're really good, like until you're like 
super in your eyes, very, very confident and good. You want to avoid disagreeing or being in a disagreement with a client. Okay. Whenever you disagree with somebody or make them wrong, when you're selling, we learn this in hypnosis, you activate in somebody's mind, what's called the critical factor. When you activate the critical factor in somebody's mind, that's the designation for it. You obligate them to defend their position. And when you obligate somebody to defend their position, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. They're obligated to defend it. That's why when you get people in disagreements, like think of classic stuff, politics, religion, what do people do? They shell up and it's not about facts anymore. It's I'm going to fight you to the death. I'm obligated to defend my position. Now your ability to influence them and persuade them completely goes out the window. And it all started from a disagreement or you telling them no at the wrong time or telling them that they're wrong or making them feel wrong. Okay. Whenever you activate the critical factor, you're done. Okay. That's why you're, you're told you're not taught that, but you're told never disagree with somebody. That's what they mean. So even if somebody says something that's ludicrous, oh, the market sucks right now. It's a buyer's market. My home can't sell. We know right now as realtors, that's completely wrong. I can still affirm that and then dig. I can say, okay, that makes sense. You believe blah, blah, blah. You believe it's a buyer's market right now. What indicators have you seen to prove that or to verify that? Now we're going to get into a dialogue. I'm not going to tell them, no, no, you're wrong. Actually, no, actually, it's a seller's market. You can sell your home right now for top dollar. That's the wrong way to do it. I need to be smoother whenever somebody's wrong. Because the whole part of what you do door knocking or meeting with clients, part of what you do when you guys are dialoguing with people is educate. If you can educate while you're dialoguing with people, your results will explode. I educate people all the time. This is why I love the angle of doing the hot market script. Because guess what? You're educating people. We've had 60 homes sell here in the last 30 days. Did you know? Boom, education piece. Now they may not care in the beginning, but as you sprinkle that into your dialogues over time, you know, why do you think I asked people and I gave you those questions? What are your top three favorite things about the neighborhood? Guess what? If I talk to a buyer or a seller or anybody, I can say, you know what? I've talked to 150 people in the neighborhood. These are the top three things they're telling me they like about the neighborhood. Let me know if you agree. I might even use that at the door. They said, boom, 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 boom. You're an owner here. Do you agree with that? Actually, yeah, I do, Brian, but I would add a fourth one. Boom, boom, boom. Perfect. I'm writing it down. Educating. We, we say providing value. That's one of the highest values you can provide as a, as a customer service person, somebody who's going to help somebody buy or sell a home. That's the biggest value. Educate people. Why? You're teaching them something they didn't know previously. What do you think they want from you? Coupons? A good time? No, they want to be educated. That's your number one way to build value. Focus on that first, then you can do the other stuff. All right. Here's some other ones, right? And I'm going to give you some examples. Here's a few. What would happen if dot, dot, dot. That's a great language pattern. Someone's stubborn with you. Ah, uh, you know what? I want to, you know, I, I, I don't want to list the home. I want to, I want agents to bring buyers. But what would happen if, and you can fill it in the blank. What would happen if it doesn't work? What would happen if we brought two buyers? What would happen if a buyer comes, but 
they're unsure because you're not represented by an agent. But what happened if you got in a dispute with the buyer in escrow? Okay, let me give you some other examples. Oh, uh, we want to we wanna sell, but we're not sure. Let's say you get that at the door. Well, what would happen if a buyer showed up today and, and gave you a full price offer? for market value here in the neighborhood. You know, your neighbor sold for 460. Let's say they came here today and said, here's an offer, Mr. Seller, for 460. What would happen if they did that? What would you do? You see, I'm putting them on the spot. Oh, we're not sure where we want to move. Where would you like to move? What would happen if you could snap your fingers and be anywhere. Where would you go? Right? Giving you examples here of how you can use that language. It's very good because it's forcing them to take their mind to wherever you lead it. So it could be positive or negative, depending on what you want to present. Here's another one. If we dot, 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 would you dot, dot, dot. Someone says, Let's say a buyer, right? I'll give you different examples. A buyer says, does the jacuzzi come with the house? Well, if the, the jacuzzi came with the house, would you want to write up an offer? Would you want it? If we can get you the jacuzzi, would you submit an offer? That's my next question. If, if the jacuzzi came with the house, would you be seriously interested? Oh, you know, we want to... We want to make sure that when we sell, we have a place to move. If we could secure you the next home, would you put your home on the market? Would you feel comfortable putting your home on the market? Right? That's my response to that question. We're not sure about the next move or we're not sure about buying and selling. Well, we don't want to be homeless when we, when we sell and buy. If we could give you a smooth transition from this home to the next home, would you move forward? Would you feel comfortable moving forward? Well, how are you going to do that? Great. Let's set up a meeting. Then you get a, an appointment, right? It's if we dot, 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 would you dot, dot, dot. That's the pattern that you, that you use, okay? Another one is for what purpose, dot, 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 right? We want, and that can be used with anything. Let's say somebody throws a weird strategy at you or, oh, I want to I wanna, I wanna sell, but off market. Well, for what purpose do you want to keep it off market? For what purpose is a way to ask directly the question without it ruffling feathers? Because normally we would say, well, why do you want to do it off market, right? That can seem antagonistic. But if I say for what purpose, I'm trying to get to the motivation behind it and it's not taken so aggressively. So that's a great question to ask when somebody says they want to do something. I want to sell, but I don't want to list. For what purpose specifically? Then they'll tell me what's behind it and I can get to the root of it. Well, we tried with an agent and they didn't get it done. Okay, great. Then they just have a distrust for agents at that point. If they tell you that, it's not that they want to list, but not go on the market and only do a pocket listing. You get what I'm saying? These are little tweaks that you can make to get into somebody's head a little bit easier, right? Now, there's a million that I can give you. I've only given you a few, but this gives you guys like a taste of some of the stuff that you that you're messing with when you start learning some of these things. And I'm jumping around from point to point. But this stuff is very layered, and this is very um, introductory level, okay? What are some other ones? 
someone tells you that they're unsure about what they want, where they want to move, a great question to ask when somebody's uncertain about something, you say this, what specifically do you want? Well, we're not sure what agent we're going to use. What specifically do you want? Oh, well, we're not exactly certain where we're going to move. What specifically do you want in the neighborhood that you choose or in the city that you choose? And I'm taking notes. We want a good price for the house. What specifically do you want? Oh, um, you know what, Brian? Let's say you don't rock a FISBO, right? Uh, uh, we're, just, we're just looking for buyers right now, not, not an agent or, or a listing agent. Okay, what, what specifically? What buyer specifically do you want? That opens up the conversation now. Because then if you look at the FISBO script, let's say, oh, we want a really good buyer. Great. Are you willing to negotiate the price down or are you firm? Now that's a question on the script. Now I can, I'm right in the conversation. All it took for me was to throw one question back. What specifically do you want? What specifically are you looking for? Oh, well, we, we want the right agent. Here's another one. How will you know when you found the right agent? How will you know when you found the right house? How will you know, Mr. Seller? This is for the people who are unsure that don't give you a specific time frame. How will you know when you're ready to move? How will you know? What has to happen for you to be certain? to blank, whatever, to sign, to meet with me, to make the move, to decide, to have a serious discussion about this. How will you know when you and your wife are ready to proceed? How will you know when you're ready to submit your documents and get pre-qualified? You see, these are very open-ended questions that force people to give you an answer that they have to think about. That's what you want. That's why these patterns are so powerful. Right. Another thing that I want to discuss with you guys real quick, I brought up a word earlier that's very powerful, presuppositions. There's presuppositions in everybody's speech. Presupposition, I remember, is an assumption. When somebody tells you, oh, I just want the cheapest agent or the agent who quotes me the highest price, like a FISBO, there's a presupposition. What's the presupposition there? The presupposition there is that all agents are the same. Is that true? No, it's not. So why would I give up on that conversation? Now it's just a matter of me navigating the conversation to prove them otherwise. I think I, we, we did this role play uh, like two days ago where I said, well, Mr. Seller, is that my response was, was that how you're going? Is that how you're going about choosing agents? And I flipped the conversation on him. Why? I hear the presupposition there. You see, this is the stuff that you guys have to catch. Right. So when you're getting common responses, let's say you guys are getting a response while you're door knocking that stumps you or you get it when you're prospecting, write it down and ask yourself, what's the what's the assumption in the statement? What's the presupposition? You know, oh, you know, I, I want the lowest commission because I want to net the most money. There's a presupposition there that, again, every agent's the same. They do the same job and less commission equals more money in their pocket. We all know that's BS. Why? The discount brokers, the flat free bro brokers sell, take longer to sell homes and they sell them on average for less than us. It's been proven. FISBO saying they don't need you. There's a presupposition there that they can actually do the same job as you. Incorrect. Statistics have proven that wrong. 
so uh, FISBO sell on average, what, what is it like five, seven, 10% less than an agent, something like that. Or it's like 12% on average or something like that. So even if, and they're usually paying out half the commission to a buyer's agent. So are they really saving money? No, but there's a presupposition there that their strategy is equal or greater to us. You see, now, when I look at it from this perspective, factually, I know I'm standing on the position of power. So when I speak to them, I speak with a certain conviction. And if I don't have an answer yet, I can at least write answers down and come up with new responses to what they're telling me. This gives you that vote of confidence because you've, you've logically now understood that, hey, I'm in the position of right. I'm not wrong. See, now you can go like I used to back in the day on your little whiteboard in your house or your apartment and come up with answers and experiment. That's what I did, right? That's what you want to do. But where's the presupposition? This happens in your life too. Oh, well, you know, I'm young or I'm new. Well, there's a presupposition there that because you're new, number one, everybody knows it. And number two, nobody's going to work with you. Is that true? No. Right? You get it, you get it from every angle. I'm too old. I'm too new. It's too late to start. Door knocking doesn't work right? Oh, because of COVID, no one's going to answer the door. Come on, man. Remember what I told you guys, and I've said this on YouTube as well. Answer rates at the door have increased significantly since COVID started. And I know in most cases now they're dropping all the stuff. So hopefully soon everything goes back to normal, right? But our answer rates doubled over the last two years for our team, doubled. I was on average getting about 25% 25% doors openings for every four that I knocked, one would open sometimes on a good day, like one out of three would open. So if I knocked on hundred doors, I talked to 25 to 30 people, my team, especially before I moved uh, to Miami last year, they were having sessions where they knock on hundred doors and, and 50 people would answer 55, 40, 45. I mean, again, like literally double of what I was getting. So what is everybody's presupposition? Oh, this is happening no one's going to answer. No one's going to want to talk to me. It's incorrect. That's just the next excuse. There's too many assumptions about everything, whether it's on the sales side, whether it's you. Like as an example, how many of us make assumptions about our looks thinking that people aren't going to respond to us a certain way because we don't like the way we look or we don't feel good about the way we look. Dude, people are hiring you to sell their house. They don't care if you look like a supermodel or not. They don't give a shit. You really think they care? No, that's more about you. Same thing with me having tattoos and all this stuff. You make an assumption. Oh, no one's going to work, want to work with me because I wear earrings or have a tattoo or I'm too tall or too short or I'm too big or I'm too small. Those are all presuppositions, but they manifest by how you deliver your stuff. So it's not that that stops people from working with you. It's your own mental projection of it because then you hold yourself back you come up talking to them weak and they respond to your weakness, not how you look or anything else. It's your lack of delivery. It's your lack of performance up to that standard. It has nothing to do with the look or whatever you think it is. I, I know people who won't smile because their teeth are crooked. Dude, my teeth are crooked. Who cares? I don't know about you. I've, I've never had a seller tell me, you know what, Brian, we really wanted to work with you, but do when you smile, your teeth are a little bit crooked. We had to go with another agent. I've never heard that. I've never heard we went with another agent because you're tattooed. We went with another agent because, you know, you wear earrings and they don't. You know what? Your suits are a little bit too nice and flashy. We don't want to work with you. You know what? You're a little bit too tall, Brian. 
we're, we're moving on to somebody else. We don't think you can get the home sold, right? People might get scared when you walk through the door because you kind of have to put your head down, right? Now, I know I'm giving you silly examples now, but there's presuppositions behind all of that. This is more internal than it is external, but this weighs on you. This is what stops you, by the way, from having the motivation to go or all the other stuff on the surface level that comes up. The root is that. You see, that's what I love about the NLP and hypnosis stuff is it gets down to the core of your identity, values, and beliefs, not your, your thoughts, your ideas, and your actions, which is the surface level. That's what YouTube information is at. That's what classic self-help books are at. And this stuff gets to the core. You rewire and rebuild yourself from the ground up. You wipe the computer software clean and install whatever you want to install. This is why I will preach this stuff until the day that I die. And I do events and have it in my coaching and all that stuff. And I'll, I'll give some stuff here at the, the challenges because this, this is the core. This is the root of it. This is one of the foundational pillars for me transforming and changing. Most of my success on the outside has come due to the inside. My internal process allowed me to continuously show up every day and keep door knocking, even though for months I wasn't getting results. Remember, if you guys have followed me, I went through a period of three or four months where I got nothing going door to door and calling. And I had people in my DMs complaining that after a couple of weeks or a month, they're not getting results. I'm like, dude, you're just getting started. If you're already complaining and about to throw in the towel now, just give up and forget it. You can go... I've spoken on stage with all the guys from Million Dollar Listing, and a lot of them door knocked and cold called for a year and never got one sale. And look at them now. They're making millions. Now, will that likely happen to you? Probably not. You'll get a couple sales at least if you do things right. But there's extreme examples like me and them where we didn't get anything. But the only reason I and they stuck with it was the internal commitment and process. If internally you're not in tune and aligned and you're not applying some of this stuff, you'll become a statistic like everybody else because the, the numbers are against you. The numbers are against you. The fact is in this group, we have what, 63 participants. The majority of them in two or three years will be out of the business. That's just the reality. I see it with the people who follow me. I see it in my coaching. You see it on my real estate team. That's just the facts. Now, where you're going to fall in those numbers is up to you. I did everything that I could to ensure that not only would I survive, but I would be one of the best. But it takes internal change, rewiring, and learning subjects like this. Otherwise, you're only dealing with surface level stuff and it's a band-aid. It's not the stitches that you need to heal the wound. It's a band-aid. And then it keeps bleeding and it reopens and it keeps bleeding and reopening and you never handle it. Because where other people refuse to go and look, I dive into it. The closet, the closet that you have full of skeletons, I've opened up my closet and emptied it already. You will always be deduced down to that. So any surface level manifestation of an issue that you're having will go down to that. If you can't take the time right now to study your scripts and memorize them, it's not the scripts. It's you. For whatever reason, you're not committing yourself to it, but that's an internal process. Somewhere at the bottom, your values, your beliefs, your identity, there's an, a root issue there and you better address it. Otherwise, this challenge or anything else is not going to help you. Okay. So um, I'm obviously going to recommend everybody come to the event this weekend if you can. Uh, I'm doing one specifically catered towards NLP and hypnosis as you guys are in the challenge. 
Um, I can offer you the same thing that I offered my coaching members, but if you're interested, just message me, right? I won't talk about it here specifically. Uh, but if you guys have any questions now, I'll open it up to you and uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. Let's see. I saw a question. I met with the seller last month. We kept in touch a few times. Now we stopped replying. Okay. Uh, number one, when you first met and it was a seller, when you first met, what was the end of the conversation, Sebastian? And when was that person supposedly ready to meet with you and sell and start the, actually start the process? Because if they were more than 30 days out, and you're touching them a few times quickly, that's too much. Fizbo, <laughs> you agents are the same. You want to list my house. There's a couple of ways you can answer that. Number one, I would say, how do you know that? I'm going to throw it right back to them. How do you know that? I could say, are you aware of the statistics with agents, Mr. Fisbo? He's going to have to answer that. No, 10% of the agents are doing 90% of the transactions. By virtue of that, are all agents the same? Mr. Fisbo, do you know how many agents we have registered in wherever you're at? For me, Miami-Dade? Hundreds of thousands. How many have called you? Oh, I've gotten 10 calls from agents. Okay, so 10 out of hundreds of thousands. You think they're all the same? Reframe it, Harold. It doesn't matter what you say. It's how you respond. Some of the dialogues I gave you either yesterday or the day before with Fizbo's, go back and rewatch it and take notes. Those are some good ones to have. I didn't, uh, okay, cool. We already went past that. He's not in a rush. Okay. When you guys hear not in a rush, remember what people say and the reality are two different things. Everybody just says that. Okay. It's just like, well, I wanted to set the appointment, Brian, but the seller said, duh, 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 come over, right? Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I got somebody with an appointment, right? Yesterday or the day before. Remember, what are they actually saying? That's what you have to pay attention to. Not the words. How many times has somebody said when you left a meeting, I'll call you back. Yeah, I'll go with you. I'll sign with you. And then how many times do they actually do it? Uh, let's see. This NLP challenge, is it a Zoom? It's not a challenge. It's a full like in-depth training because we're doing an event, me and my friend Pablo, right? But I'm going to focus on NLP and hypnosis specifically. Um, I'm doing it on Zoom online and in person. But if you guys want a little bit more info, you can kind of see the posts I've been doing on Facebook. You can message me and I can send you the link. How do you deal with door knocking in higher end areas where they have gates and no parking? Um, if you can get in, if you can get in, that's the best way to do it. I would do my best to get in. Sometimes you can't because they're gated and they have the guard. If that's the case, it's really tough to get in. Um, but if the houses, if it's just the houses themselves having gates, this is where you guys have to make a decision. Okay. I've drawn out in Beverly Hills and LA and many places. If a house has a gate, I just walk through it and I go and I knock on the door. Okay. Um, I've rarely gotten bad responses from that if ever. And that's just the way I did it in Beverly Hills and anywhere else. I, I would walk past the gate if it was open 
or unlocked, I would knock on the door. I wouldn't touch the doorbell. That's how I did it, right? That's what I would do. Now, if you're not comfortable doing it and you're shaking in your boots, I wouldn't do it, but I did that, right? That's where I kind of say, do what you want, right? Okay. Elliot says, I have a seller that tried for sale by owner, tried to open a house and didn't sell. I had introduced before he put it on the market. They called me, asked a lot more questions about wanting to list, but the seller keeps going back to the wife as a decision maker. Okay. Obviously you're talking to the wrong person then, right? I've asked to meet with him and the wife, by the way, they're from out of town. Okay. That means you're going to have to zoom or FaceTime uh, for the listing presentation. Can't get him to want to do a three-way call or meet with the wife. Have you directly asked him, sir, you tell me you want to sell. You've called me asking questions. You're obviously interested. Why? Can we not do a three-way call with me, you, and your wife? If you want to sell and that's our solution, how come you won't agree to it? You need to call them out directly. Like directly. That's one of those moments where, hey, dude, what's up? You need to call out the elephant in the room because someone's BSing you. Either he's just trying to fish you for information and the wife doesn't want to sell. Something's off. If people's actions aren't lining up with their words, something is off. You need to get to the root of it. Call them out. You guys will get farther ahead in this business quicker if you're at the right moments, very direct and blunt with people. You cannot let people push you around or give you stories. If something's off, you need to call it out, right? I'm very, especially at times, very stern. I'm nice, but firm. That's the best way to say it. I'm nice with people and cordial and respectful, but I'm firm. I'll put my foot down and I'm not going to back off or apologize or, or be around the bush. Nice and pleasant, but firm. That's what you guys have to learn. That's what I would say, sir. We've had multiple discussions. You're obviously interested. However, and correct me if I'm wrong. It's almost, it seems as if you're refusing to do a three-way call with me, you, and your wife when we know that's the solution. So what's really going on? Call them out, right? Now you may feel uncomfortable doing that. Many people are because they're not used to calling people out like that, but you have to do it. You have to do it. I have a seller who wants to move, but is fearful of becoming homeless. That's not a problem. You know, if you guys really go through the process, right, especially in the seller's market, you can negotiate a rent back. There's a lot. So what I do with that is to say, great, you have nothing to worry about. We've helped a lot of people make that transition. When we meet, we'll discuss all the options, right? So set the appointment, right? And just say at the meeting, we'll discuss all the details. That's the best thing you can do. Then you can explain at the meeting about contingencies and how they don't want to do that and how you can negotiate a rent back, a lease back, right? Longer escrow, you know, some other options. Um, but if she's not ready to meet officially until the end of April because she's out of town or something, then you're just going to have to wait. But whenever you guys can, if you have to book an appointment a month or two months out, tell them, hey, okay, you can't meet until the end of April, pull out your calendar. I'm free this day and this day. And when are you free? Get something in the books, even if it's tentative, that way you get a commitment from them, right? That puts you in a better position. People like in Beverly Hills, nice, very nice. I, I, I didn't get one asshole in Beverly Hills in the flats south of Wilshire Boulevard. I got one person that complained that we were door knocking and I still had a conversation with them. That's it. My experience in Beverly Hills was fantastic. Mastering NLP and hypnosis is 
doing a ton of events, a ton of courses, practicing it in person, right? Um, but it wasn't practicing my scripts. That really had nothing to do with it. The main benefit I got, although externally I got a ton, learning that technology helped me make myself and sell myself better. Then everything outside of me became much easier. When you guys are straight with yourself, when you've I don't want to say mastered yourself because that's become so cliche, right? But when you can, like, as an example, have your rituals and your discipline straight, follow your schedule, right? You can sell yourself on what you need to do very easily and actually do it. Now, selling other people becomes very easy because they, when they work with you and listen to you, they know they're dealing with the real deal and you'll double down on your commitments with people. You'll be that much more um, we can say committed to your process and your language patterns and you're your going after the appointment or asking for the signature more times. Why? Because the belief and conviction and the knowingness of what you're doing is there. You're not doubting yourself. You're not doubting the process. You're good here. Right? What happens in most communication is too insecure. Ask backwards people are communicating, trying to convince each other of things. And it doesn't work that way. That's why most people are not good at selling. As I got better myself, my sales increased. A lot of it was internal, man. It, it's tough to explain to people sometimes because a lot of that internal stuff, it's not like tangible in a sense. But all of that stuff helped. But I mean, I've spent, I don't know how many thousands of dollars on NLP and hypnosis trainings and, and helping people and, and you know spending a lot of time by myself with a lot of the exercises, right? Um, but a lot was invested into it, time and money for sure. Recommend calling and telling. Yes, calling or if you can in person, Elliot. Or did you say they were out of town? Yeah, they're they're out of town, right? Uh, okay, yeah, call for sure. If you guys are ever going to text a seller or a client, do a voice message or do a video. I wouldn't do traditional texting. Yeah, how do you deal with chain of contingencies? I try to avoid those, Vic. But you have to be very strict for the contractual guidelines and get everybody on the same page. And when you write initial contracts, your counter offers need to be so rock solid that it reduces the, um, the probability of that stuff happening. I cut down inspection periods. I get as much agreed upon before in the counter offer, right? In agreements to appraisal disputes and all that stuff. If someone's not complying with contractual guidelines, my notice to performs are being sent out right away. Like you just have to be on top of it more and as much as possible, early on or in the beginning before you open escrow, have as many loose ends tied and lower as much as possible the probability of a domino effect happening, right? That's why when I do transactions, I do my absolute best to not chain contingencies together. I try not to have more than like one, maybe two max, because once you start having two, three, four, it, it, it can be disastrous, man. Unless all parties are aware, of the possibility of something happening and they're all on the same page from the very beginning. Then it's a little easier, but still emotions get in the way, right? So you just want to do everything you can as much as possible, man, but there's no guarantee, obviously. Would you offer a Zoom meeting to do a FISBO PowerPoint presentation or just talk about the statistics or graph? Well, I'm not going to talk about statistics or any of that stuff with the FISBO unless we're at a listing appointment. Then I can bring specific articles or things that I may want to discuss but I'm only doing somebody that favor who has agreed to do a listing appointment with me and who I've qualified. And that is a legitimate lead that's ready, willing, and able to sign. I'm not just going to do random meetings with FISBOs 
to educate them, right? Now, if you guys want to start an education series on like an email drip campaign or something like that, or a text series, and you create a separate folder for Fizbo's, and like every video you go over a point for a minute or two, that's cool, right? But that's, that's a marketing piece that you're using. But if it's going to be your own time on the phone or on Zoom, I'm only going to sit down with somebody who's ready to do something. Yeah, reach out to me, Mike. That's the best way. Uh, Harold, yes. If it's somebody that you know, you always follow the process. Whenever you guys are dealing with family and friends, it's even more important that you follow the formal listing process and selling and buying process. Pre-qualify them, do the same thing you would do. You do not change it because it's somebody that you know. That's the worst thing you can do. That's the worst thing you can do. Because again, now we're making a presupposition that just because they know us, they know the process or they're going to trust us 100%. You need to treat them like a customer, right? Do I do listing appointments on Zoom? Yeah, I've done them. I've done them over the phone, on Zoom. I've done FaceTime appointments. I've done a ton of stuff. Skype back in the day. Same thing, qualify people, make sure they're ready. You confirm the meeting, you meet with them. Um, the only thing I'm going to recommend if you guys do phone, Zoom, or FaceTime appointments during the appointment or right at the beginning or right at the end, you have it ready. You send them the paperwork through DocuSign. And while you still have them on the phone, you make them sign. Great. Everything looked good. Okay. Go ahead, open your email, click. Because if you let them off the phone and they say, oh yeah, we'll sign later. That's the same thing as somebody telling you, I'm going to think about it. The only time you can't avoid that is if you're dealing with a higher ticket client who has financial advisors and representation, then it has to go through a process. That's different, but that's rare, right? Unless you're only working with high ticket people. If it's a standard one, send it to them during the presentation or right at the end when you still have them on and have them go through it and have them sign, right? That, that, that's a, a mistake I see a lot of people make when they do phone or Zoom or Skype or FaceTime appointments is they don't have the paperwork in front of people or tell them, hey, as we go through the presentation, right? Like if it's on Zoom, tell them, share your screen or you can share your screen and you can say, hey, follow along. So as you see it on my screen, follow along on your screen or your computer, the paperwork, right? That way you're walking them through it. So if you've never done it before, do a test run with a friend. That way you're not wasting time on the appointment. Like, oh, I can't figure it out, right? That way you already kind of have a flow to it and you're used to it and you're kind of well-versed. So when you do it with them, it's smooth. You want to keep things smooth. Same thing when you guys are ready at the end of a listing presentation or a buyer presentation for them to sign the paperwork, right? Don't fumble through your folder. Don't take five minutes looking through, have it ready. So when I go on a listing appointment, I have everything stacked. I have my pre-qualification sheet at the top, right? And then I have the next thing, which is um, the, um, the CMA, then the net sheet, and then the contracts. That way it's just sheet, sheet, sheet. It's just a seamless flow. And I have in my suit pocket, I have like 10 pens, but I have also the pen on the desk. So I'm not fumbling around like, oh, do you have a pen when it's time to sign? I have everything ready. Boom, 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 boom. We're ready to go, right? Same thing on the contracts. Wherever they have to sign, I already have it pre-highlighted. Or if again, if they're doing DocuSign, you already have the thing set out and ready to go. So they just have to click, 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 done. Cool. All right, guys, I'll end it here. 
you guys have any other questions, post in the group, reach out to me about the event or anything else. And I'll see you guys tomorrow. Same time.